on this episode of Arisen, we finish our conversation with the Reverend Ann Holmes as she describes her journey, the joys, and the pain about being the first lesbian pastor ordained in the United States. I learned so much talking to Reverend Holmes, and I hope that you do too. Thanks so much for joining us for this very special conclusion to our interview with Reverend Ann Holmes on Arisen. So, so your nation ends up happening in, as you said, April of 1982. Mm-hmm. And from what I've read, and, you know, as uh, I know that there's a lot of, you know, you might find something out later or, or this, but one of the articles I read was that you were the first openly lesbian persons to be ordained in, in, in the whole country. Right. And so I can only imagine what you well, had to deal with. What what was that like? It was hell. I'm just going to say it loud and proud. It was hell. It was a very, very difficult time. We took two years to study specifically the ordination of, as we said then, homosexuals. And I went around to all the churches in the association to let them touch me, ask me whatever they wanted, um, that kind of stuff. We did that. We we had educational uh, workshops. Uh, we did that within my own home church. We did that within the association. We did that within the conference. But as you might know, in the United Church of Christ, one is ordained and holds standing in the com- in the association, which is part of a conference. That's, that's the judicatory structure. Um, so it was a very, very, very difficult time. I had people telling me I was ruining their lives and the lives of their children. And I was getting hate mail from around the country and those kinds of things. And I, I'll admit I have PTSD as a result of it. You know, I, it was, I started to say unsettled time, huh? It was way more than that. And it was very painful Um, And, you know, I wasn't the type of person who wanted to be, I'm not a political person. I'm not that person who, who wants to be out there rallying everybody around the flag, although I do that, but that's not who I am. And so that made it even more difficult for me. And I had a group of friends, a group of people who were like an entourage, who was weird, who would go with me to various meetings or whatever. And then I had my friends at St. Elizabeth's Hospital who we were in training together. And we would sit together and cry or pitch and heave in the middle of the night or drink beer and sing hymns and, you know, whatever, just to try to it, it, try to get through it. It was very difficult. Yeah, and that was going to be my next question is what helped you get through that? And it sounds like a close group of friends and community. Yeah. And, and I think what helped me get through it 
also was that I had a lot of affirmation while having a lot of disaffirmation. I know that's not a word. I think it was the affirmation of folks who were not my friends that that probably got me through it as much as anything. But of course my friends did, but but I think that was a, that was a large part of it. And people would talk to me. I mean, we would sit down and I'd have conversations with folks all the time. I had no problem. I was not somebody who thought everybody needed to believe the same way. So I was fine if you didn't like what I stood for or whatever, just let's talk about it. We, we can end up in a different place. Well, and what I have found with my very small splinter of furthering the cause is that I've become a caricature. Right on. So people either... I'm the antichrist who is going to destroy your your marriage and your family uh, and, right. and tear down the institution of marriage in the United Methodist Church. Or on the other hand, I'm the second coming of Jesus Christ. And uh-huh. that's not good either for a whole, really the same reasons is I'm a real person with real feelings, with a family, with friends. I'm imperfect. I do things wrong. I say the wrong thing. And All the time. Sometimes I just like walking into meetings and just be like, let's, let's just talk. I just want to yeah. get to know you so that you can get to know me. Um, right. You know, my sense of humor, you know, like all this kind of space is, I just want to be known as a real human being again. And it was a difficult transition when I kind of realized what was happening that I'm okay with me being in a room but you're still dealing with, not you, but the person who I'm talking to are dealing with all these feelings about my presence here. And you're working through them. I'm good with me. I'm going to let you work through those a little bit, and then we'll, we'll kind of be in the same space. And so I can only imagine that the feeling like you're a caricature and maybe both extremes being very difficult for you as well. Well, Absolutely. I mean, you you articulated much better than I could. But um, the other thing is that, as I said, I am not I am somebody who wants to hear where you are. And you may be you may hate me, you may hate or people like me or the concept of me or whatever. But that doesn't mean I'm going to hate you. I may be mad at you. You may hurt my feelings. You may make me cry or whatever. But and it's okay for you to be who you are. And that was, I think, as much as anything got me through those times is that I, I've given you a good example. There was a, a guy in our church and he must've been like eight feet tall. He was a big, tall Swedish guy. And he was standing in the front of the church and he said, you know, my biggest concern is that you will not want to hug me. So I just walked up and got on a chair cause I'm five feet. And literally he was, he was seven feet or whatever and gave him a hug that to me sort of is a story about who I am and how I think we need to be in the world, how I need to be in the world rather, even though I'm not sure it changed his mind. I didn't care whether it changed his mind, you know, because I think what we're called to be and what I'm called to be is to meet people where they are in any given moment. And uh, that's not always easy or pleasant or fun or any of those things. But now that I'm old, I, it's, it's a little bit easier, but it is not that much easier. You know, even though the older you get, you still get your feelings hurt. 
Oh, I, again, I can't even imagine. And I'm, you know, again, in some of the research that I had done, it, it looked like, you know, the, your home church was not of one mind. And so, oh, no, no. Um, <laughs> that's the understatement church... of the century, I think. Well, that no, I just no, made, I, but... I, I was just laughing. We lost a third of our membership. Yep. And, um, yeah, we we had meeting after meeting after meeting with people in the church and and uh but let me uh, let me tell you just one other really what I consider to be a, a, a really one of the redemptive things in the whole time was that when I was having my ecclesiastical council there were two people who were one was an association minister and one was a minister of a church and they wrote to me and said, we will not be at your ecclesiastical council because we don't agree with this, but we don't want to vote against you because we believe you're called by God. We just don't think it's you know, a valid call or whatever. And I, I found that to be one of the most authentic things that anybody could have done. And I, and I appreciated them for that. I'm sure you had some people who maybe felt that way in 1982 yeah and came around oh many people came around yeah oh yeah there was there you know i have i've never really talked about the pain of that time so you're getting it but there was a lot of joy and there was a lot of real love i think that that occurred during those years um where people and and, and a lot of uh, changing of minds or not even necessarily changing of minds, but changing of heart, you know, or I don't agree with it, but I, I can't disagree with it. So I don't know how to be with it, but I want to be with you. So that's what, that's what, that was my experience. That was the good parts of the experience, which outweighed the bad parts. No, no doubt about it. That's such emotional work though. I would imagine. I mean, I, again, I feel like everything I'm saying is like no, 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 don't, don't feel that way. An over or a, a, an oversimplification of everything, but I, again, to be sitting in a space of like you have, you, the the grace and the forgiveness and the level of love that you have for people, not ever that it never bothered you or never really got under your skin, but. Just to be able to sit there and be like, yeah, let's talk about that. Let's thank you. Thank you for, for that change of heart or, you know. Or not. Or not either, right? And so. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And, but, you know, the other the other really neat thing that happened was my youth group. We were, youth, I was a youth group advisor. And the youth group rallied and stood up and, and they were just so supportive and so caring during those that during the, those couple of years at, at Emmaus. Yeah, and the impact that that has on young people in general. I mean, they do watch. They do. And they figure things out a lot quicker, I think, sometimes than we do as, as adults. And, you know, sometimes the best questions or the most challenging questions I've ever gotten are from a teenager who's just like, but what about this? I'm like, right. Huh. Yeah. And what about that? That's a great question. Yes. 
right. and a great support. We're open to them. Exactly. And letting them fall where they will. And oftentimes we're not. And we're not. Yeah, they 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 scare us. They raise our anxiety level. They we worry we're going to fail if we can't answer them. We shouldn't even be answering them, but we're afraid of that. Yeah. So after you were ordained, I could not get a job. Yeah, that was going to be my question. So yeah. So because there's this whole like, oh yeah, we're gonna we're gonna support you. We're gonna we're gonna ordain you, and then then people have to deal with the homophobia in their own churches and in their own contexts and go, Oh, we can't really say, you know, we're really excited about being the first to do this. Right. But then when it comes to installing you as the pastor, Mm -mm. so what was that process like? What do you mean the process? So how long did it take you? To, to find what? a job. Oh, oh, a long time. I couldn't, I, I, no, I couldn't find it. I, what did I do right after that? I guess I went to, um, I went, I left the area and became a hospital chaplain in uh, Western Maryland at a, at a state psych hospital and a general medical trauma unit. And then they, but they didn't know who I was. I mean, I didn't think about the people I worked with did. Right. And when they found out the church, and I had a small church on the side, they didn't know. Who, when they found out who I was, everybody fired me, and that was the end of that. So, I don't know what to say. Um, I I never could. It took me years and years and years to find a job. And Bill Johnson, I don't know that he ever found something that he wanted to do. Right. I feel blessed that I was able to work the last twenty years, or fifteen. So they go through this whole process. Yeah. Which is again a covenantal this is this is the Enneagram eight in me coming out. So they go through this whole process. Yeah. <laughs> Say they're gonna support you, we're with you in covenant, and then nothing. Nobody's nobody's even willing. Even a um I, I don't want to say even, like it's it's a less than position because I think associates are wonderful. And they minister in their own way. But even to say, you know, we're going to do this, it's going to be an associate position. No. And in fact, my one of my CPE supervisors from St. E's gave the church that gave the charge to the church during my ordination. And he stood up and he said, give her a job. What are you doing this for if you're not going to give her a job? Well, they didn't. He said it out loud. No, you couldn't get a job. And I was never invited to preach in any church in the Potomac Association, except one, which was a new church start in Germantown or, yeah, Germantown, Maryland. So when did that change? Probably 10 years later or so, 15 years later. So in like 90s, late 90s? Yeah, started in the late 90s. Now, others could get jobs, but because of who, you know, you become notorious and... You're a caricature. Yeah, I'm a caricature, right? I'm sorry. <laughs> Thank you, but you know, as I as I said, I, I truly believe this. We're called by God to be something. I don't know what, and uh, you just got to go with what you're given. And it hurts, and it's hard. I don't mean to. I, I want to be really clear how painful it is. I don't. I, I'm I'm sound cavalier, and I don't feel it. But yeah, I wanted a job back in the day, yeah. desperately, but it was not meant to be. So, question. 
If you had to do it all over again, would you? Absolutely. Without a doubt, tomorrow. I would get better mental health coverage. (laughs) (laughs) But I would absolutely, I wouldn't change a thing. Your friends stayed with you and your community that walked with you stayed with you during that time? Some did, yeah. And I have a great partner, person I've been with. And we have a great daughter and great grandchildren. That's great. So, you know, my life ended up being really awesome. So we have college students who are thinking about what it looks like to possibly be ordained. They don't wouldn't even really be able to pick a denomination or they just know, I am feeling the Spirit's movement. I feel called. I feel like I want to I do something. Um, I want to respond to this call, but I've had really bad experiences in church. I've been hurt. I, I don't know what to do with this. What advice might you give them or where would you, might you send them for some clarification and wisdom? Well, first of all, what I would say is you will continue to be hurt. And that's the reality because we're people. And churches are made up of people. And churches are made up of flawed people. So I know there's a lot of pain the people that young people have felt as a result of their time in church. And I grieve that. But I want them to hear that that is part of life, too. And not to dismiss the pain, but to begin to to put it in in a perspective and a context of we're all in this. We're all in this together and we're all flawed and we all mess up. And we all say stupid things and we hurt each other and all of that kind of stuff. So. Buckle up, because if if you want to be in the church, if you want to be a part of anything, that's what it's going to be like. And I think that's that's reality. But let me, can I read something that uh, Richard Niebuhr, who was a theologian in last century? Absolutely. And he wrote uh, four aspects of vocation. The first is the call to be a Christian. Why do you want to be a Christian at all? Um, and that's the beginning of any call to ministry or to whatever your call is in the, in life. And then the second thing is the secret call between God and you. When you feel an inward invitation by God, from God, to be whomever God is calling you to be, to be a minister, that place, that depth, that place in your, the depth of your soul where you think God might be, you might be hearing God's whispers. The third thing is the providential call when you recognize that God has given you some specific gifts, intellectual, spiritual, psychological, and moral that God wants you to use in ministry. Not everybody has the gifts to be in ministry. So I think it's important to sort of examine that in yourself. You might maybe would be a better uh, bricklayer or a better retail worker, and still you have a call from God and, and can li- live that call out. And then the fourth thing is the ecclesiastical call. That's the one that comes from your community. So if you're feeling this nudge, this whisper from God, and then people are saying, you know, you like they did to me, you make a great minister. Just keep your life a secret. Don't let them tell you that. 
these days. But that's what helps you prepare for ministry. And then that's what will ordain you because of who you are, not because, and who your relationship with God is, not because of anyone else and not because of what anyone else says. People can only affirm you or not affirm you, but God is the one who calls you. And the bottom line, my friends, sometimes church sucks. So just going to Bojangles sometimes, you know? I don't mean to be cavalier. I probably sound cavalier, but. No, I, they're used to that for me. Like I oftentimes, if you want to do anything worthwhile in life, it's going to cost you something. And I think being a part of a faith community, no matter what it is, there are going to be sometimes you, you're, you're just, your feelings get hurt. I think anytime we're around people and it's what we do in those moments and how the community reacts in those moments that I think is most meaningful and the most telling. Exactly. And I think one of the things you said, you know, where can you go? Go to your friends, go to you, Drew, go to people who have been through it. Let them walk with you, find people to walk with you in the, the journey, whatever, wherever your journey takes you, whether it takes you to ordination, whether it takes you to being a Sunday school teacher or whether it takes you to being a bricklayer, wherever your journey takes you, find those who can mentor your mentor you along the way and stand with you by you and in front of you when need be. And sometimes that's in the church and sometimes that's out of the church. And regardless as pastors, we need both groups and communities. I have yes. my friends that are inside the church and I have my friends that are outside the church and while they love me dearly, they will never be going to church. Right. And they'll never understand why you're a minister. Yep. And they love me dear, dearly exactly. and deeply. And that's, that's important. It's not just surrounding yourself with what you think your community should be. It's authentically, what is your community? What are you, who are your people? That's right. You know, when I was at, at a state psych hospital um, in one of my first trainings, when I f- finished there, the staff got me a T-shirt that said New Breed Preacher on it. You don't know me very well, but if you knew me, you would know I'm like this really eccentric type kind of person. And, you know, um, and you have to be yourself. There's nothing... If it, whoever you are, if God is calling you, God wants you to be there with who you are, your weirdness, with your goodness, with your badness, with your whatever. And don't ever feel like you need to fit in a mold that somebody else is trying to fit you into. I mean, I always wished I could fit into the mold, but I never could. And so that's really wise. And I, again, I remember being a college student that loved my campus minister and I wanted to preach like him. I wanted to go on missions like he did. I wanted to do a whole bunch of different things and I just couldn't. And I would argue, I would guess right now um, what's interesting. And I think the most, one of the most painful things for me is the people that I looked up to the most um, when I was younger are probably deeply disappointed in me right now. <laughs> and it's okay. Like, I yeah. learned a lot from them. 
I appreciate them, but I can't be them. I have to be Drew. And I have to be the best Drew that God created me to be. And that's exactly right. Nobody from my home church, not Emmaus, but my home church growing up came to my ordination. And I was a church kid. But they rejected me. So what are you going to do? You got to shake the dust off your sandals and keep on keeping on. That's right. And that's true for whatever you do in life. Even if it's not ordained ministry. That's right. Well, Anne, thank you again for speaking with us. Is there anything else that you were hoping to maybe say or any um, thoughts that you would like to just end on? Not really. I, I, As I told you, I'm a reactor, so I, I do better reacting to what you're saying rather than being proactive and trying to think of what I want to say. But I, I am deeply, deeply appreciative of this time because it's given me a chance now that I've retired. It's sort of like, the, it, 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 you know, it began... 40 years or longer than that, 50 years ago. And uh, now it's ending in a way or changing. And this is, this is sort of like a culmination of all those years of life experience. And this has been very uplifting and uh, hopeful and helpful for me. Well, it's been the same for me. And I know our students who listen to the podcast and others who might be stumbling upon it. So thank you so much for your time, for your witness, for your courage, for leading the way for so many others. And I'm willing to talk to anybody, anytime, any, any of the people out, kids out there who are struggling or wondering or whatever, give me a call. We can talk it over. You have my number, Drew. I do. I do. I will give it out freely. Uh, just not to, to spam marketers. Bathroom walls, whatever. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> Well, thank you, Freds, for uh, listening and for joining in. We want you to comment, talk about in your life groups. Uh, what, what are your thoughts? What are some of the questions you have? And we'll pass those along to Anne. And again, we just want to say thank you. If you want to learn more about Arise Campus Ministry, you can find us on Instagram at AriseGMU, or you can find us AriseGMU.org is our website. Well, again, thank you so much. Reverend Ann Holmes, for coming on our podcast, and thank you to each one of you for listening. Have a great week.